This morning we're in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40, continuing on our way through the gospel of Luke. We'll be looking this morning at yet another passage, another interesting part of the life of Jesus as a child, as an infant, and him being presented at the temple for dedication. So if you would please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word this morning from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, they took him, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. For that thoughts for so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel, the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, into their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So in this passage, we continue to see the devout godliness of Joseph and Mary in living in accordance with God's law. Always they want to follow after what the Lord God had given them to do. And so in this passage, we see them following after the law given by Moses. In Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, there's a little section there that talks about how when a child is first born, that they should be dedicated to the Lord, that they should come and a sacrifice should be given for, the, for their sins and they should be dedicated to the Lord. Now, we know that Jesus has no sin because he was born in a special and miraculous way, and yet Jesus, through his parents, begins to... To, to, it begins a pattern that he will continue throughout his life where he submits himself to the law even though he himself created that law and made that law. And so what we see in Leviticus chapter 12 is that a normal sacrifice brought at this time is the sacrifice of a lamb. But it very specifically says that if you cannot afford to bring a lamb that you should bring two turtle doves. 
And this continues on in what we have been talking about for a number of weeks, that Mary and Joseph were poor people, economically poor people, and that poverty does not keep us from the Lord, but the Lord always makes uh, available a way because poverty has nothing to do with our soul and our relationship to God. And it is important for us to note that Mary and Joseph fell into the category of poverty. They could not bring a lamb. They could not afford to bring a lamb. So they brought the sacrifice of two poor people, which was two turtle doves, which were acceptable in the sight of the Lord. And so as they come doing what God has called them to do, and as they come in obedience to the Lord, and as they come to do what God has called them to do, something astonishing happens. So they are coming up to the temple, and as they are there at the temple, they don't realize that the Holy Spirit has brought two other people to this place at this time to confirm who Jesus is in an amazing way. But I would say before we talk about Simeon and Anna, to remind you that this idea of dedicating our children to the Lord has not stopped in this day and age. There was a ceremonial way to do that in the Old Testament because there were three types of law in the Old Testament. Just to teach you a little bit about the law in the Old Testament, there was the civil, ceremonial, and moral law in the Old Testament. The Lord God gave civil law to the nation of Israel, how it is they should conduct themselves as a nation, But then there was also ceremonial law for how they should conduct themselves at the temple. And thirdly, there was moral law. This is the Ten Commandments type of law. Law that is moral law related to the character of God that does not change over time. When we enter into the New Testament period, we no longer are under the civil law because we are not part of the nation of Israel. And we're no longer under the ceremonial law because the temple has been done away with. For what is the temple of God now? It is our own hearts as the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in us when we become followers of Christ. But the moral law of God, the character of God, is still very much in effect. And as the nature of man and woman does not change, we are still very much under that law and instructed by it as to how we ought to live. And so it is right that when we want to raise our children to love the Lord and to follow after him, that we ought to dedicate them. When they are young, we ought to bring them forward and pray over them and ask others to pray over them and before others promise that, yes, we will raise our children to know the Lord Jesus and to believe his gospel and to follow after him and do the very best that we can. We cannot change their heart, but we can strive after it. We can pray for it. We can seek it both individually and as a community that none of our children may be lost. And by the way, that's my prayer. Not that most of the children in our children's department and in your homes will be saved, but that all of them will be saved. I don't want to see any of our children lost. I want to see all of them come to a knowledge of salvation. So I encourage you. And looking at what child dedication looks like now, uh, Andy and Mallory have announced a number of times in January, we will be having a child dedication here in January. Andy will be leading us in that, and I look forward to that time as we dedicate some of our young children to the Lord. But as Joseph and Mary come into the temple at that time, following the law that they had been given to dedicate their first child, Jesus, to the Lord, what happens is they run into a character named Simeon. In verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Amazing how he is described. It is first said of him that he was a person that is full of the Holy Spirit. 
says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit. And in verse 26, that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so something had been revealed to him. I often talk to you about that, that we cannot know God's will or understand his word unless it is revealed to us by God. It will be nonsense to us, and we will not understand what is going on unless it is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And so here, the Holy Spirit reveals to this devout and righteous man something particular, that you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. For thousands and thousands of years, Israel had been waiting for the Messiah to come. But God reveals to Simeon that he will see the Messiah. And so in some providential way, he leads them, him, as it says in verse 27, it says he came in the spirit to the temple. This is the idea that God's spirit is compelling him to go to the temple because something's going to happen. He doesn't know what it is. And those of you that have been Christians for a long time understand what this means. When there are times where you feel compelled to say something to someone, or you feel compelled to go and do something, and when you go and do that thing, something happens that you know was orchestrated by the Lord. That's called a providential appointment or a divine appointment where something happened there that that doesn't make any sense other than the Lord brought the two people together for something special to happen. And that's what's happening here at the temple on this day. And so he goes into the temple and sees Mary and Joseph. But I would like to ask you before we move on, a number of ways it is spoken of here that he was guided by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It's obvious that God's Spirit was guiding and directing the life of this man. How is it that you and I might be filled by the Spirit? Because this is interesting. Simeon lived before the day of Pentecost. Make sure that you're aware that the Holy Spirit was very much with us uh, as one part of the Trinity long before Pentecost. But after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit begins to work in a special and unusual way, more so than he did prior to that. But the Holy Spirit was very much at work before the day of Pentecost. And this is one of the occasions. But how is it that we seek and welcome the working of the Holy Spirit in our life? How is it that you and I might be a person who is directed by and filled by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit? I believe very much it is that we have to follow in the pattern of the life of Simeon and Anna. And how is it that they lived? They lived as they were described, as righteous and devout and patient. People that are righteous and devout and patient are filled with the Holy Spirit and used of the Lord for all manner of things. And so what does this mean? Simeon, described as a righteous man, a righteous person is a person who believes God and who obeys his will. A righteous person is a person who believes God and obeys his will. Now, this is one part of it, though, because obeying God's will and obeying the things that he has laid out for us is not enough. You might be the best rule follower that there ever was, but following rules is not what makes God happy with us. It is a part of what God requires of us, but the other part of being a righteous person by living according to God's law is being a devout person. I love the word devout. It's not a word you hear much anymore, but the Bible specifically uses it to describe people often in the scriptures. Being devout 
is a person that is passionate about things. You love the Lord from the heart and you passionately want to serve him. That is a devout person. And so when you take a person who wants to do God's will and wants to obey and passionately loves the Lord and from the heart wants to live for the Lord and you take those things and you put them together, you have an amazing person, someone that is passionately living for and following after the Lord. And yet it's interesting, the third thing that is described about Simeon is that he was patient. He did this for a long period of time. He was an old man. And he had been passionately following after and living for the Lord for many, many decades. And that's something we don't often see with zeal. Usually zeal flames out in youth and it doesn't make it into old age. But Simeon was zealous and righteous for the Lord all the way into his old age, never losing faith. And I encourage you that we are called to live the same way. And that when we live in this way, the Holy Spirit both empowers us and makes it possible for, to do, for us to do this, and it increases the invitation of the Holy Spirit to be involved in our life. Simeon. Well, in verse 28, it says that when Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus came into the temple and Simeon sees them there, he begins to rejoice. And it says in verse 28 that he actually takes up the baby Jesus in his hands. Yeah, you visualize this however you want to. And he's just rejoicing. He's he had been told by the Holy Spirit that he was going to see the Messiah before he died. And here he's an old man and he's got baby Jesus in his hands. And he is rejoicing over what he sees. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I can die in peace because what was promised to me has been fulfilled. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. We're going to talk about that for a moment here in a little while. His faith has become sight. What he believed was going to happen actually is happening right in front of him. That you have prepared the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So the salvation of God here is talked about how it's going to go beyond just the people of Israel. It's going to go to every corner of the world, every non-Jewish person. This is the missionary calling of the gospel, like light going into darkness. But he says also in verse 35, a little bit later, he says something sad to Mary. He says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Which is interesting because he gets into talking about how Mary, he, he apparently is speaking directly to Mary. That Jesus is not going to be like you think he's going to be. And though there's going to be great joy, there's also going to be great sorrow. And we think forward because we know the rest of the story. And the idea of seeing Mary at the end of this story, standing at the foot of the cross with Jesus crucified, bleeding out and dying. And her thinking, what has happened? Like, what, what is going on? And sorrow that's indescribable filling her heart and these incredible highs and lows and highs and lows of emotional things going on. But Simeon warns her in a prophetic word that there will be sorrow to come because the Lord's ways are not our ways. They are perfect ways and they are good ways and they are always for God's glory and they are always for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose but they are not the way we expect them to be. How many times in your life as a Christian has your life taken a turn that was so different than what you thought and it took you to a very difficult place, a place where you had to be more dependent on the Lord, but as we wait and wait, the Lord brings it into something that is good because he loves us. And so as these things are said, 
In verse 33, it says that Joseph and Mary marveled. Again, just, just 40 days ago, they had the shepherds storming into the, into the stable, saying they had just heard from angels, and now they're coming to dedicate Jesus in the temple and offer the sacrifice, and here comes this, this old guy picking him up, prophesying over him. They, they're, just, they're amazed at all this. They don't know what is going on. But a second character then comes up, a character named Anna, a devout, devout, godly woman. Whereas Simeon is described for us in his character, Anna is specifically, we're given some background on her. It's told to us that she was married as a young woman for seven years, and then her husband died after only seven years, and that she was widowed for a very long period of time. And it depends on how this translation goes, but the translation is either as a widow until she was 84 or as a widow for 84 years. So one way or another, she's either 84 or 100. So she's really old. And uh, in that time, it says that she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. This is a devout woman. You think of all the different directions you could go if you were widowed as a young woman in the Middle East. It It could go horribly wrong, or you could be very bitter or it, jump and reach out to someone who's the wrong person just to take care of you. But what did Anna put her hope in? She put her hope in the Lord God. And she was devout in following after the Lord, apparently for her entire life. Witted at a young age, but threw herself upon the Lord in complete devotion. And what Anna supplies in an unusual way here is a second witness to say the same thing that Simeon said, that this baby is going to be the Messiah. And that's important because in Jewish law and tradition, it took two credible witnesses for something to be true. And so we have one witness coming up and saying, this is going to be the Messiah. And then right on the heels of it, we have another obviously devout person, trustworthy witness to come in and say, this is going to be the Messiah and rejoice over him in the same way. And so by the voice of two witnesses, it is spoken that Jesus is going to be the Messiah. And we see in Anna's life the same pattern of righteousness, devotion, and patience. Godly in all her ways. A tremendous passion for the Lord as a widow. You don't fast regularly and pray day and night unless your heart is is, devout for the Lord, passionate for the Lord, but patient. Either 84 or 100, for a long, long time, this lady has been waiting for the Lord never giving up hope, always seeking to see the face of the Messiah. And she gives thanks, it says in verse 38, for Jesus as the Messiah and begins to speak of him to all people that would listen. So this is one of the most remarkable passages in the Bible relating to uh, Simeon and Anna of faith becoming sight. Faith becoming sight, something that you believed and wanted to see happen, it actually happens right in front of you. This does not often happen. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, we are told that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So faith is an assurance in our heart of something that we hope for and long for. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith, our assurance that these things, though none of us have seen Jesus face to face, face to face, by faith, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart, we are assured that these things are true. And we hope for these things that are yet unseen. 
We're on this side of the coming of the Messiah. They were on the front side of the coming of the Messiah. They were praying for the Messiah to come and longing for his coming. And their faith was in a coming Messiah. Simeon and Anna longed for the coming of the Savior of Israel and all mankind. And by faith, they persevered until their faith became sight. And I encourage you today that we are called to live in the same way. We must walk by faith as we await and long for the second coming of Jesus. So what I want to transition today is to talk about the second coming of Jesus. They waited in a devout way for the first coming of Jesus. And they were the the blessed few that saw the Messiah in the flesh, in their faith, what they had longed for and hoped for, which countless generations prior to that had longed for and not seen and died in their faith. They saw. And the same with us. We are called to long for the second coming of Jesus Christ and that we are called to walk by faith and not by sight in seeking after the second coming. So what is the second coming? I don't want to presume on anything. There may be those of you here that have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so I want to clarify that for you. I'm going to read a number of scriptures. You can uh, read along with me or you can just listen, either one. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 24, the last couple of verses in the Gospel of Luke where Luke records for us, and he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This records for us the ascension of Jesus Christ at the end of his ministry. That when he finished his ministry, he had died, buried, was resurrected from the dead, and his disciples were ecstatic over what was going on. And they did not know what was going to happen, and they still thought he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. They still didn't get it. But instead of it, Jesus is out there blessing them on this occasion, and it says that he ascends into heaven out of their sight. And more of it is recorded in Acts chapter 1. If you turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They were really hoping for a a great political victory from Jesus. They still didn't understand. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. In verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit When he has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they give the first announcement that he is going to return. As he went, he is going to come back again. There's going to be a period of time between the two. But there's much more teaching in the New Testament about what it means that Jesus is going to come again. The first time he came as a savior... The second time he comes, he will come as a judge. And it says he will end the world as we know it and create a new heavens and a new earth. But it will be the end of time as we know it when the Lord God returns. So when we look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, 
The idea that we are waiting for our Savior to return is crucial to New Testament Christianity. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So the idea that as Jesus' body was transformed in the resurrection, when Jesus comes again and calls his people to himself, he will also transform us into a different, uh, a different type of body, a glorified body is what the scriptures talk about. It will be done with sin and death and pain and all the struggle that sin brings upon us. And this is our glorious hope and reality, the entrance into eternal life. And with these words, we're to encourage each other to stand firm and not lose heart day after day. 1 Thessalonians says a little bit more about this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These people were going through a hard time that had this letter sent to them. And the encouragement that Paul gave in 1 Thessalonians 4 was don't give up. Because the Lord Jesus is coming again. And then, of course, we have the last two verses of the entire Bible. At the end of Revelation, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. That's what Jesus leaves us with. I am coming soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. May the Lord return. And there has been an expectation of his coming for 2,000 years. We have not given up hope. I have not given up hope. We are 2,000 years separated. Do you realize Simeon was 2,000 and Anna were 2,000 years separated from the first time that God visited Abraham and and formed a covenant with Abraham saying that he was going to send a Messiah? And for 2,000 years, people waited and waited in hope. And we still wait in hope for the coming of Jesus Christ to make all things new. But we are instructed to wait in a certain way. And so uh, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. And by the way, if, if you didn't get all these verses and you would like them, just see me after the service. I'll be glad to give them to you. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 13 says this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some of you count slowest, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens 
and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter gives us some insight into this. He first of all speaks about time and that God is not slow, but God is instead what? He is patient, it says. God is patient because he does not measure time as we measure time. He is not bound by time as you and I are bound by time. And so he waits and he accomplishes his will in an appointed fashion, but according to all that he has planned. And he is patient for what reason? What reason is God waiting for? He is waiting to redeem more people. It is not God's plan. Judgment is not his end. Salvation is his goal. And he is waiting as the gospel goes out into the world that more and more people might come to repentance and be saved and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he is waiting until an appointed time when the gospel has gone to all ends of the earth. And then, and then he will return. This is the missionary calling of the Christian church, as he said, to go and be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, that's local, and to the ends of the earth. We'll be talking about it here uh, after the first of the year. We're going to be, God willing, going, uh, some of us, those of you that feel led, those of you that desire to go, uh, go to a section of Rwanda to work with uh, an international mission board missionary there that's working with the people in that area. We want to be a church that fulfills what God has called us to be, to be witnesses here, in your own family, in your own neighborhood, in your own school, but also to the ends of the earth. We want to see what God is doing and be a part of what he is doing in the rest of the world. But Peter says in verse 11, Still, all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you be while we're waiting? What kind of people should we be while we're waiting on the coming of the Lord? Well, it says holiness and godliness. It's the same thing as Anna and Simeon. They were righteous and devout people. You and I, as we wait for the Lord, we should be holy and we should be godly and our hearts should be, our lives should be lived in obedience to God and our hearts should be set upon the Lord in love and devotion as we patiently wait for him to accomplish his will in the world. And so the application of these things, we must be a people who seek the second coming of Jesus as Anna and Simeon sought the first coming of Jesus. We're in a different section of history, but they should serve as an example to us. We should live our lives, as Peter has called us to do, in righteousness, being careful to obey the Lord in all things. His moral law, his character that has been laid down to us in many instructions in the New Testament, we should be careful about those things. I know our youth looked this morning at a passage, I think it's in Ephesians 5, that's very careful to instruct us in ways that we should live as Christians. To be righteous people, we must follow the Lord carefully in our relationships, in our businesses, how we act as students, in all the ways that we live. We should be passionate and unashamed to seek the Lord. We should pray much. We should be willing to fast if you have never fasted in your life to show the Lord, it's a, it's a demonstration of the desire to give up other things that you might be single-minded in seeking after the Lord. I encourage you to make fasting and much prayer a part of your life. And we must be hopeful, walking by faith, knowing that our faith will one day be sight. This is difficult, I know. And we pray about these things. When your faith begins to struggle, you pray and seek the Lord, and he will renew your faith and strengthen your faith and give you all that you need to continue to hope in the Lord Jesus and to hope in his coming. 
But the second point of application is that there will be a generation that is present at the second coming of the Lord. We don't know if that's our generation or not because the second coming of Christ is not predictable. It is not given to us in such a way that we know when it will be. Uh, Anna and Simeon did not know when or exactly or how this was going to work out, but they walked by faith. And so it is that you and I must walk by faith. But there will be a generation where faith becomes sight. There will be a generation that hears the trumpet sound and sees the Lord Jesus descend from heaven. May it be us. Come, Lord Jesus. But we don't know. And so we keep striving after the Lord. But I want to close with this, a challenge. A challenge to our older saints. The scripture calls holy ones, those who follow after Jesus as saints, not in the way that the Roman Catholic Church defines it. But I would like to challenge our older believers. I would like to challenge you to follow in the example of Anna and Simeon, living an expectant, spirit-filled, godly life until you see the Lord Jesus return or until he takes you in death. I want to encourage you in three ways that we see in the example of Simeon and Anna as senior citizens, as older people. They did not withdraw from the hands-on work of the Lord. And I encourage you as older Christians, do not withdraw from the hands-on work of the Lord, from physically doing the work of the Lord and being a part of what is happening. I, I hold up to you a friend of mine who is a tremendous example in these things. In his older years, with his gout and his diabetes and his heart trouble and his terrible foot pain and his doctors telling him he shouldn't do anything because he survived cancer and almost died and all this, he goes on international mission trips regularly. And he just came back from Bangladesh and serving people, doing anything that he can to tell people about Jesus and encourage missionaries that are in the field. And every time he goes, his doctor says, you could die doing this. And he says, well, the Lord will take me when he takes me, and I want to be faithful and devout until he does. And that is an absolutely amazing example of someone using their senior years in every way possible in order to serve the Lord Jesus. Remember, Abraham was called at age 75. Moses was called to do his work of leading the people out of Egypt at age 80. And they were faithful and heard the work, the call of the Lord and were willing to go and serve and do anything and everything that God called them to do. So I encourage you, do not withdraw from the hands-on work of the Lord as an older believer. Secondly, I encourage you to not become overly concerned with politics as an older believer. For some reason, it seems like there is a, a shift in many people that I know that are older where they are overly concerned with politics. What do I mean by overly I mean that the kingdom of God is not a political thing. And my longing for you as an older Christian is that you might speak more of Jesus than of politics. That you might long to see people come to salvation more than you long to see anyone elected to office. That you might long to see boys and girls, young men, young women be discipled in the gospel of Jesus Christ more than anything political. Because if our country is to make a shift, it will shift through discipleship and through evangelism and through hearts that long to love the Lord Jesus. And so I encourage you, put Jesus first in all the things that you do and be consumed with him as Anna and Simeon were. And lastly, I would encourage you, be passionately prayerful in seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit. Be passionately prayerful and seeking of the Holy Spirit. I have been moved recently by my mother 
uh, digging through and working through all the possessions of my grandmother. And, they, and many of you know that uh, all three of my remaining grandparents died earlier this year. And she uncovered this trove of journals. And these journals are all written prayers, passionate prayers of her writing her prayers out to God for her children, for her grandchildren, for us. Mom was reading to me some this past week about her prayers for me when I made the transition from being in pastoral ministry to working with the Bureau. And it's just unbelievable how she prayed for us. And her prayers have been answered. And that's the amazing thing about it is that years later we're getting to see the answer, God answering her prayers. She was a devout older woman. She was an Anna type of woman. And I encourage you, our senior saints, be devout in your prayers. Seek the filling of the Holy Spirit that you might walk in the example of Simeon and Anna. May your life be characterized by sacrificial service until the very end. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you. We love you. We long for your second coming as Anna and Simeon longed for your first coming. We want to be faithful in our service to you as Joseph and Mary were faithful in bringing their child before the Lord and look at all that happened as they walked in obedience. Lord, I pray for every person here that may not know you as their Savior. I pray that you would call them to yourself and that you would move in their heart in such a way that they would believe these things. As Molly said earlier, they seem strange, but yet we know that they're true. And I pray, God, that you would call us to yourself and light our hearts afire that we might live for you with great devotion and righteousness and passion and patience. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.